We are back, back after Oklahoma's 38-33 loss in Lawrence, Kansas, Sooners' first this season. Back with Todd Lizenby and back for the 19th episode of the Letterman Jacket Podcast. Todd, number 19 on the current Sooners roster, Jacoby Johnson of Mustang, another fellow freshman, tight end Cade McIntyre. 1919, it's the year that competitive football, proper football, soccer, returned uh, in England post-World War I, and 1919, your Green Bay Packers were established. How are we doing? We're doing wonderful. When I think 19, I think Johnny Unitas. I think, this is a deep cut for you, Kansas City Chiefs' Joe Montana wore number 19 as well. Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole Todd rank silly things list of like iconic stars wearing the wrong number. Numbers you they know wore what? the teams they played on later, like a Montana and KC. I think I think you've got your, your story writing idea right there for the week. I, I will add that to uh to my ever growing pile of silly things that I'm gonna rank. I've got no doubt that you've got piles upon piles of silly things going on in your head that we will get to read at some point here. Uh, today, we're going to talk OU's debacle in Lawrence. We're going to talk a Big 12 race that is now wide open. And we're going to talk Bedlam because the Sooners do head to Boone Pickens Stadium this weekend. First, of course, a thank you to our sponsors, Rose Hill Builders, National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, Oklahoma Ford Dealers, Our Blood Institute, Bob Moore Auto Group, and most of all, Todd, our friends at Fire Lake Arena. ZZ Top came through Shawnee over the weekend. That show we were promoting went down. It was big. So look out for more coming to Fire Lake Arena. Getting a little chilly for golf, Todd. But I know some gamers out there. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you stock up, get some hot cider in, uh, in the thermos. Maybe get some, something else in that hot cider, keep you warm. You can get out there on the link. So as always, our friends at Fire Lake, we thank you as well. Course is clear when it's a little cool. And we like uh, that. yeah, oh, I love that. I put on a little quarter zip and go out and play some golf. There's nothing better. And I do think we're going to get back into the 70s next week. So, yeah, I think still, there's still plenty of golf days left in Oklahoma. I concur. Plus, once it's that cold, you have every excuse in the book. Like, you can say, oh, I didn't stretch this morning, oh, I didn't get to hit the range. Exactly. Once you're out there, ah, it's cold. You get a I bad. Will, I will yep. say this it was not golf weather in Lawrence on Saturday, was it? Oh my God, that was not that was not weather fit for anybody. I, we were nice and cozy up in the press box, at least until we had to go. Uh, it was quite a, a journey to walk through that rain and through all the fans headed to Potter Lake just to get to a press conference in a cramped storage closet uh, at Memorial Stadium. But boy, it was an ugly day of weather, and it turned out to be a really ugly day for Brent Venables and the Sooners. And running through it, OU. Down fourteen, nothing. Starting to get some momentum, coming back, get on the board. Fifty-eight minute weather delay. We sit there. Sooners come back. They actually seem to benefit from the delay because they came out of that on fire. Two straight scoring drives, take the lead. It had the feeling right then of all right, the Sooners have this one in control, and and they're going to cruise maybe like we thought they would. They didn't come out of halftime the same way they did out of that weather delay. They were slow. Uh, they were committing turnovers. They were committing silly penalties. Uh, there was that one play that had not one but two personal fouls off on it. We'll, we'll get on that in a bit. Ultimately, Oklahoma did a lot to throw this game away and still had everything it needed to win. After Ethan Downs' uh, interception with about two and a half minutes left, start up at the KU 38, you thought that was it. Sooners ran three plays for three yards, burned 24 seconds of game clock, 
and Kansas from there went to storm down the field 80 yards uh, to the game-winning score. And we are now talking about no U team that has a loss on its record, has a massive, massive dent in its college football playoff hopes. We'll talk about those, Todd. Uh, and really is, is operating this OU team in a new reality this week after uh, really going up to, to Lawrence. And I wouldn't say throwing it all away, but for how close they were in that game and how many opportunities they had to win, um, for what they did lose and what they fumbled, um, certainly disappointing. Where, where do you want to begin here? Uh, there's so many places to start. I mean, I do think it's worth stating that I think you've said it. I think I've said it. Um, you know, I, I probably more than you got caught up after the Texas win and kind of thinking that Oklahoma was better. And I, I still do think Oklahoma's more talented than every team on their schedule. But I think we've always thought that there was probably a loss out there at some point for the Sooners, right? And, you know, we we talked about this right after the Texas game. There were three really weird road games left on the schedule. Mm-hmm. One of those was in Lawrence, obviously coming up this week in Stillwater. And then you've got the one uh, in Provo coming up later in November. So I'm not shocked that Oklahoma lost the game. I think the biggest issue for me was it was a game where they lose. They're in it, have a chance to win it late, probably should win it late without playing anywhere near their best football. There were a lot of questionable coaching decisions. Uh, there were a lot of questionable mental errors, right, from the team that that we really hadn't seen a lot of this year. Um, you know, I just think I, there are times where you lose a game and you look back and you go, you know what, probably deserve to lose that game. I think this is one where Oklahoma fans feel like they lost the game and they look back and go, that's one that we caused, right? That Oklahoma caused that loss, that it was more about what Oklahoma didn't do than what Kansas did do. And I know that sounds like I'm taking credit away from Kansas, but the Sooners were right there on the edge of it with making all the mistakes they made, with some of the questionable coaching. It's going to be one that I think could loom very large. And and you could tell right after the game, it immediately hit Brent Venables like a ton of bricks from just some of the comments he kind of had. Yeah, and it you could it felt that way talking to the players too. I mean, we we watched we had a lot of somber post games last year on the way to six and seven. I can't think of many. Let, let's take OU Texas out of it last year, forty nine nothing, and that that wasn't even as somber because that was its own different animal. This felt um, like one where where the team knew what had slipped through their hands. Got to give credit to Kansas; they threw everything at OU. They ran well. Jason Bean first tried to give the game away with his pair of late interceptions, and he thought he had. Then he was, you know, loomed pretty large on that scoring drive that that won it for Kansas. So credit to him. Lance Leipold, you know, knocks off Oklahoma for the first time since 1997 at that school, does it with a backup quarterback, and the Jayhawks, bowl eligible earlier than any year since Mark Mangino coached there. All big stuff. But you're right that Oklahoma really found ways to throw this one away. Um, and and that's what's going to have to sting most. And I, I think you talk about the broader context. You know, we were projecting, could this OU team run the table? I think a big part of that was looking at what was not an easy schedule, but one that wasn't going to, at any one particular point, challenge them uh, in a way that, you know, maybe even Texas having K-State on the, the schedule this week, or you look out west and you see what Oregon and Washington have to play. There was not that finish for OU in terms of what they had in front of them. And I think where we could have been confident, even if we didn't think this was an ultimate championship team, was that they didn't seem to be doing silly things. The offense was getting points when it needed. Dylan Gabriel was playing better than we'd ever seen him. 
the defense was giving up yards, but keeping teams out of the end zone, not making silly mistakes, creating turnovers. All of that made you confident that the, as I had said on this podcast, that the floor was really high on this team. All of that has seemed to disappear over the last couple of weeks. And that's where the concern should be. It's all right. They, they took a loss. Maybe we thought they would at some point, but they took it where they did. They took it how they did. And now you look at the next four games, starting with a resurgent Oklahoma State. And, and I think that confidence around OU is completely shaken. Well, I mean, how many times did we say? I think we might have said it in last week's edition of the Letterman Jacket that I was on. Oklahoma this time last year, probably be four and three, right? I mean, the SMU game, the UCF game. And the Texas game are probably all three losses on last year's schedule with the way that team played. This felt a lot more like 2022 Oklahoma in some of the mistakes they made, um, just, you know, in some of the chunk plays that happened, uh, some of the coaching decisions, quite quite frankly. Like, I, I think this team has been better coached this year. I, I don't think there have been as many kind of throw your hands up and go, what in the world was that all about moments? But there were some of those on Saturday. So for a lot of Sooner fans, I this is this is – a kickback to reality, I think, you know, to think this team was going to go undefeated was always going to be a huge ask, but it did feel like maybe they had gotten past their tough games against SMU and UCF where they didn't play well, and maybe they had snuck out of those with wins, mm-hmm. but when it keeps happening over and over, it tells you it's more the normal than it is, you know, one of those anomaly type games that you sneak by. So I think it's it's worth having a measured take here, right? Because we were over the top, or maybe not over the top, but you know, after Texas saying college football playoff, folks, you know, knocking OU down to sixth in their Big Twelve power rankings are probably being just as reactionary. Falls somewhere in the middle here. The fact is, Oklahoma had every opportunity, many opportunities to to be eight and zero to win that game. But it's let, let's take the kind of the litmus test. We're now two thirds of the way through the season. The college football playoff. The path to getting there is a lot, lot steeper now. Some would argue impossible. I think I want to get your take on that at some point. But the Big 12 is completely, you know, in front of them. That's an open race that we're going to talk about. But that's all still there for the Sooners. However, you're looking at an offense that has not looked the same since the bye week. That for one reason or another is not using Dylan Gabriel the same way it did before the bye week. And that, as you say, doing silly things, handing the ball off to Jaleel Farouk out of the backfield when Tawi Walker was still healthy. He got hurt late in that game, but his ankle was just fine when Jaleel Farouk was running out of the backfield and fumbling uh, an offense that didn't take advantage before halftime or late in that game trying to get a first down. All they needed was that first down. You got to have concerns there. You got to have concerns about a defense that has been leakier and, and I think more critically undisciplined um lately i think they lead the big 12 in penalties now ou big part of that's the defense and then it's coaching decisions it's it's looking to brent venables who copped to it immediately after the game said he should have taken a timeout before that big gain 37 yarder on fourth and six that that kansas had he he threw his hands up for that jeff lebby said he was taking the blame but i I think you know as has been the case in in a lot of his uh his speaking uh, since arriving to Oklahoma as much accepting blame as deflecting it and and not really offering much other than we've got to be better. I don't think that satisfied a lot of OU fans. So you really can look at it at all three phases, offense, defense, coaching. You want to throw special teams in there. It seemed like they were hesitant to, to go to Zach Schmidt um, when they needed him. A lot of questions around the Sooners, um, even as you know they head into this final stretch of the season. 
probably in a better spot than many would have expected at the start of the year, but suffering from the weight of, of disappointment in Lawrence. We deal with this all the time as soccer fans. If your team's down 3-0 and you come back and get a 3-3 draw, it feels great, right? But mm-hmm. a lot of times if I would have told you before the game it was going to be a draw, you would have been a little disappointed. I think the same can be true here. If you'd have told fans the opposite, though, that they were going to be, you know, OU fans, you're going to be 7-1 and one and have beaten Texas, you'd go, okay, <laughs> I, I think you'd take that if you're an Oklahoma fan. Yep. But just coming off that loss the way they lost, understandably there's a lot of questions to be asked going into this next week and you look up and you're playing Oklahoma State and perhaps the most important Bedlam game I mean historically it is the most important Bedlam game ever uh just when you talk about you know the ending of a rivalry now as far as what it means for a national championship it's not the most important one ever but this is a huge game this Saturday and we'll find out a lot about this team in the next six days we're going to jump into Bedlam and the big 12 that is now wide open but before we do I want to get your take on, on the college football playoff and where OU stands there now. The fact is, the, the rankings will come out Tuesday night, first ones of the season. If Oklahoma wins Saturday, they're probably somewhere you know, in that, I would wager, the top eight. You know, Wherever the committee would have ranked them, they might have dinged them for the last two weeks, but they would have been right there, and we would have still been talking if OU runs the table. That's there for them. Now that has significantly changed. We'll see where they are in the playoff rankings when they release. But I think you know it's going to take running the table now, beating Texas or whoever they play in the Big 12 title game, and a lot more help across the country, maybe more help than the Sooners can get to make the playoff. That's where I sit with it. Where do you feel like the Sooners are with four games left in the regular season in a chase they were just in? I mean, I, th- I think if you're an Oklahoma fan, your, your best hope is just as far as things immediately that can be controlled is that Texas wins out and that you beat Texas a second time in the Big 12 championship game. Obviously, Oklahoma would have to win out as well. Even in that scenario, they're going to need some help. Um, you know, every year this happens, we get to about week 9 or 10 in the college football season and we start looking and you go, "Well, yeah, they're not going to lose. Yeah, they're not going to lose." And you convince yourself that the top 6 or 7 teams are all going to win out except for when they play each other, and that's never the case. So, there's always crazy things that happen. The Pac-12, I mean, we nearly saw Washington lose to Arizona State a couple weeks ago. You know, that could happen. Something like that could happen again to either Washington or Oregon or both before the end of the season. So, um, you know, Michigan and Ohio State still have to play each other. I don't know that there'll be any, you know, the Michigan spying thing, which continues to take more and more turns after we talked about it last week. I don't know that there'll be any recourse from that, but I can't imagine the committee is going to be super nice to them. You know, I don't think they're going to get the benefit of the doubt if it's in a tiebreaker type situation. Situation, um, You know, there's there's a lot of things that can happen between now and then. For Oklahoma, though, I think at this point, you look at the Big 12 standings, and I know we'll get into it. It's so bunched up at the top. It's the biggest thing that I take out of this last weekend is not so much that Oklahoma's knocked out of the playoff hunt. I mean, that's obviously kind of, you know, that's always the case when you lose a game. But it's how Oklahoma now you look up and you're looking at perhaps a dogfight just to get into the Big 12 championship game with the way some of these teams below Oklahoma and Texas are starting to play. You call it a dogfight. I think it's a melee. There's a, it has shades of like the, the anchorman fight scenes where all these teams are just showing up in November now in the Big 12. Um, I would say it's public television. Yeah, some in. more sure. ragged than others, but all showing up uh, to 
jump into this dogfight melee. I just had this mental image of Matt mm-hmm. Campbell with a trident, like throwing like it that. at Steve Sarkeesian, who's on horseback. I like Lance Leipold with a flail, just like swinging that thing around. <laughs> right, right. That, that we could forecast this out of who who fits where in that fight. But the fact is, OU losing opened everything up. And you're right that you know the concern maybe at this point should be less about chasing playoff contention and more about not slipping out of a, a conference title race that Oklahoma felt completely in control of a week ago, and now they are 60 minutes away any of these weeks from falling. You know, not not just losing control of it but falling out of it entirely because you've got now five one-loss teams in the conference, OU, OSU, Texas, Iowa State, Kansas State, West Virginia and Kansas, two losses. They're right there. And this weekend, you've almost got, it's not quite a playoff, but it's like a six-team preliminary playoff because you got K-State at Texas. Someone's going to have a second conference loss there. Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, ditto. And then Kansas, Iowa State, they're all playing this weekend, a huge weekend. I feel like the, the Big 12 schedule has been absent of fun matchups. This weekend, we're getting three. We're completely overloaded. How much do you think momentum matters, Eli? I think it can be huge. I think teams can do something about it. I think Oklahoma State's momentum, if that is perhaps what you're referring to, well, is massive I, going into this game. I'll make the argument there's five teams tied at first in the Big 12, and I think if you're just talking about who has the most momentum right now, and I know it's obvious because they just came off a loss, but you've got four teams right now that have a lot of momentum with one loss, including Texas to some extent. The way they came out and dominated BYU over the weekend, I think they've even got a little more momentum than Oklahoma does right now. Oklahoma State certainly has momentum, and since they lost to Oklahoma State, Kansas State has been building a ton of momentum as well. Um, and then, you know, you'd be remiss if you didn't give credit to Matt Campbell and what he's doing in Iowa State, too. So for Oklahoma, they've got to turn it around quick because there are four teams tied with them right now that don't look like they have any interest in losing anytime soon. And I know, like you said, some of them are playing each other this week. But, you know, I, I think this is a very dangerous game for Oklahoma this weekend. I, I think it is truly a coin flip in Stillwater. Yeah, when you want to talk about Vegas momentum, Oklahoma had been at the top of the Big 12 title odds. It's now Texas at plus 120. Oklahoma behind them, I think, plus 180. K-State at plus 500. OSU plus 900. Point is, uh, it's getting bunched. Oklahoma's no longer the Vegas favorite to, to win the title. And so they've got work to do. The, the opposite, uh, you know, the, there's the momentum argument. The flip side of that is Oklahoma takes its first loss, gets things right, and, and goes to Stillwater yep. and... Uh, and writes the ship on the field. That that would be one way of Oklahoma really, you know, wrestling the control right back. I think that's what they have to do this week. I think that's what you'll hear from Brent Venables. His players is about you know getting back this week. Flushing it is the term they used over and over. But you don't really know what that's going to look like until we see him play again. Dylan Gabriel probably said it best. Um, real quiet, a quieter version of Dylan Gabriel than usual after this game. One of the guys who certainly. Um, just felt shocked in the aftermath said, we're going to find out, you know, who these guys are, meaning his own teammates this week of, of we're going to find out who's real or who's not. Um, we're going to find out if this Oklahoma team uh, is real or if it's not in the way they perform this weekend. And, and it's going to have massive bearing on the rest of the way. And I, I think uh, for a big 12, that's been largely so boring over the first two thirds of the season. We're now ramping up for what's going to be a really fun November in the big 12. I just wonder how Oklahoma's going to deal with Ollie Gordon this weekend. That's, I mean, I think that is one of the bigger talking points coming into this game. 
got to. They've given up what three straight hundred plus yard uh, rushing performances. That's kind of it. That's the whole deal, right? In Stillwater right now, can you stop Ollie Gordon if you can? There's that, you know, stop Ollie Gordon and things get a lot easier for Oklahoma. Struggle to contain him, like a lot of defenses have over the last month, and things could get pretty hairy. But that does take us into Bedlam. We've, you know, the Big 12 race, uh, good news for the Sooners, I think. After this weekend, they don't play anybody else really involved, unless, you know, West Virginia might be. But after Oklahoma State goes West Virginia, BYU, TCU. I don't think you could ask for a much better path over the final three weeks of the season once you get past Oklahoma State. So for the Sooners, I, I really think this is the pivotal weekend. We, we know they could trip up elsewhere, but beat Oklahoma State and avoid a two-game skid and, and get things back on track, this whole thing is, is back on track. Well, and Lose I'll this make, weekend, and it's a completely different story. I'll make the argument as well, Eli. I think considering that Oklahoma's coming off of a loss, I think this sets up great for Oklahoma just as far as like if you want to get yourself back into the national spotlight, you ask how they're going to leap some teams. The college football playoff is going yep. to give them a lot more credit for beating Oklahoma State now than they would have four or five weeks ago. That's right? for sure. So the fact that Oklahoma State's playing so well and is right there on the edge of the top 25 and people know they're one of the hottest teams in the country, it's a chance for Oklahoma to go get a statement win this weekend. And if they do, all this talk about if they're in the college football playoff conversation – I think we'll start to heat up again if they go and win, especially if they win, you know, by double digits in Stillwater. Yeah, I think again the the playoff deal is is has to be secondary now to just getting to Arlington. But if they are going to build that resume over the next month for the committee and something to consider uh, in early December, it's got to start now. They can't, you know, squeak by two more teams and then hope that a big win against TCU and the the weight that would certainly come from winning the Big Twelve Conference title, but. It's got to start now. If if they're gonna, they, they need to start stacking impressive wins. So we'll see what they can do this weekend. It does start at Boone Pickens Stadium, Bedlam, two thirty a.m. ABC Sooners as of Monday morning, five and a half point favorites. Can I correct you? You said you you said two thirty a.m. and we've gotten some bad oh kick times before, but it's not two thirty. That would be wow. <laughs> I don't know where the head's at there. Maybe I'm thinking Provo time already, or thinking Premier League <laughs> kickoff times. But two thirty p.m. Thank you. I'm glad you said something. 2.30 p.m. I might be up there at 2.30 a.m. See what I can see before the, the last bedlam. I bet you're not out of there until about 2.30 a.m. Well, that's entirely possible. Man, it's going to be a long day. Long day in Stillwater. But um, this one carries a lot more weight than we would have thought a month ago, right? We were looking at Oklahoma State and wondering, are they going to win more than two, three games? Is Mike Gundy still going to – the question was raised, I recall it, in September, if Mike Gundy would still be coaching in Bedlam. That might have been a bit drastic, but uh, no less amazing how how much things can change in a month because now Oklahoma State rides in on four straight wins, one of the hotter teams in the country, maybe one of the hottest players in the country in Ollie Gordon, and all's right with Mike Gundy and the Cowboys. How about that? Uh, and meanwhile, Oklahoma comes in, I wouldn't say reeling yet, but on the verge of reeling. And uh, that, that's, you know, if you're, you're an Oklahoma State fan, you got to be licking your lips over that. I know that, I mean, first of all, Mike Gundy deserves a ton of credit for the turnaround that Oklahoma State's had in season this year. And I said it after the loss to South Alabama. I said it after the loss to Iowa State. We've seen it too many times to not expect it at this point from Mike Gundy. He's really good at in season figuring out what the problems are. And I think Oklahoma State fans a lot of times – get angry because they feel like they understand what the problems are early on in the season. 
and it takes Mike Gundy a little longer to see that. And I don't always think that's the case. I think a lot of times he's just figuring out, like, yeah, I do know what the problem is, but how do we solve the problem, right? This year, I think the Oklahoma State fans might have had it right because they were screaming, give the ball to Ollie Gordon, give the ball to Ollie Gordon, uh, get, get rid of this three-quarterback rotation and put a quarterback in the game and start him and go with him. And Alan Bowman has been serviceable. He's been plenty good enough. And Ollie Gordon has been great over the last five weeks for Oklahoma State. So this is a huge test for Oklahoma. But it's so weird, though, Eli, in a, in a time where Oklahoma State is as good at football as they've ever been. We're talking about a series where Oklahoma has dominated throughout history. Somehow, and this blows my mind when I say it out loud, if you took away Mike Gundy's years coaching Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State would have a better win percentage against Oklahoma. For as lopsided as the series has been over its hundred and whatever year history, Mike Gundy's been worse. Like, it's gone down. The win percentage has gone down since Mike Gundy got to Oklahoma State, which is crazy to me because this has been the best era of Oklahoma State football ever for an extended period of time. So, you know, historically, it's hard to imagine Oklahoma State winning the game just because we've seen this happen so many times before. But if you just go, hey, I just, you know, landed from an alien planet and you put the film in front of me from the last three, four games, I think Oklahoma State is in a very good spot right now to win this game. And I think they do a lot of things that Oklahoma struggles to stop, especially with the way Ollie Gordon's running the ball right now. I think so. They've they've got the offensive line sorted out. They've got the run game sorted out. That's seemingly been the first piece to the puzzle in beating Oklahoma or giving Oklahoma a hard time. Uh, UCF did it. Kansas did it exceptionally well. So that's part of things here. And again, as I said, the, just the momentum we talk about. Oklahoma State comes in here riding as high as it could be at this point in the season. And Oklahoma, the seeds of doubt are at least there. Whether they've seeped in, whether we're going to see a team that looks a lot more like the one that romped Iowa State and beat Texas, or we're going to see the one that struggled with, with UCF and Kansas, we'll find out. Um, but Oklahoma State is as well positioned in this rivalry game, probably not better than two years ago. Um, in beating when they you know w- went to the Fiesta Bowl and all that, went to the Big 12 title game. That was a week I remember myself. You know, I was new to the state. I was covering Oklahoma State at the time, and I was just thinking, you know, people tell me about the poke choke and all that, but I just couldn't see how Oklahoma State was going to lose that game. They almost went ahead and did the poke choke, but pulled it out. Um, so it's not quite like that, but Oklahoma State is as well positioned than in most years of a rivalry, as you put it. Uh, historically, they've been on the wrong end of. And under Mike Gundy, they've been on the wrong end of. And when we talk history, that's a big part of this, too, because there's no getting around the fact that this is also going to be the last Bedlam football game that these schools play as as conference opponents. And as a result of that, it means that we're not going to see this rivalry, at least for the foreseeable future. Mike Gundy calls it history Playoffs. over. Playoffs, Playoffs could could set up for it, but at least in terms well, of regular season you, schedule. Could you imagine like a seven versus ten game in Stillwater or in Norman for Bedlam in like three, four years? Hey, there's there's going to be a lot of bad that uh, that comes from the expanded playoff. We're we're going to lose some things, but perhaps it's going to give us that, that's a good bet. Is is our first Bedlam football game post twenty twenty three going to come in the playoff, or will it come when when the sides make up and all the uh, this, the all the non con games scheduled out? Uh, you know. 15 years come up and, and they can finally make nice. 
I, th- I think both schools fans hope it comes in a playoff because the other option is it comes in like the Texas Bowl or something, right? I mean, well, shoot, that <laughs> it, would actually it could be come there. That's probably our most likely outcome here is a a down year for both schools, and we see them in the, in the Texas Bowl or some other also ran post. They meet at Amon Carter Stadium and play in the oh, Bell Helicopter man. Bowls or whatever bowl oh, or man. whatever. Come on, I don't. I'm a I'm a New Year's Six Bowl guy. I'm, I I don't need we we don't need to be going back to Dallas or, or Fort Worth for uh, for Amon G Carter. I think they should just meet in Guthrie and just if they ever get drawn for a bowl, just play in Guthrie, play in Guthrie. Uh, over by Cottonwood Creek where they played the first game back in 1904 and just you know just relive that thing. There it, we I'm, go. I'm, I'm sad to see it go. Like I'll ask you. I know it's not you know historically neither team is as tradition rich as Oklahoma is in football but you've seen the Missouri Kansas series go away right I mean you're a Missouri grad um how much did that bother Missouri fans did it bother more in basketball um I think it just hurts to lose it's it's less about losing the rival I mean that matters and you know there's difference here that I think you know Oklahoma fans would probably point to Texas as its main main rival Right. There's no getting around the dynamic of the in-state rivalry. You, you don't spend all that time yep. talking about your little brother, uh, as as o, OU fans refer to Oklahoma State, if it, if it wasn't something. I've had OU fans try to tell me it's not a rivalry, and I just don't buy that. Um, but, you know, in, in the Missouri-Kansas context, it's, it's less about uh, – maybe it's as much about not playing your rival as it is. What does that future look like? Oklahoma will still have Texas. They've got that to fall back on. But, you know, Missouri – got a manufactured rivalry with Arkansas that really hasn't taken off all that much other than the fact that they always play um, Black Friday right after Thanksgiving. So it's, it's, it's what comes after when you lose this. Who's Oklahoma State's new rival going to be? It's going to be one of the newcomers to the Big 12. It's going to be Texas Tech. And it, that's what we're going to lose in this just new year of, of college football. Same as the playoff is going to remove what makes the regular season so special where it feels like every game is do or die. You, you take a loss and you're out of it. The playoff, you know, Oklahoma could have lost last weekend and said, oh, we're still good for a 12 team. It's the same with this. College, you know, expansion is going to be great in some ways uh, for, for college football or, or conference realignment. Oklahoma, Texas going to the SEC, new teams come to the Big Ten, new teams come to the Big 12. But the fact is, you've got to take stock of what we're going to lose. You're going to lose Bedlam. You're going to lose all these rivalries we've sure. seen for years. You're going to lose regional rivalries. This is a part of that. This is a direct result of it. We're not going to have Bedlam. There's no two ways about it because Oklahoma decided to leave for the SEC. Probably the right decision, but you can't lose sight of what is lost in, in making that call. I, I think, okay, a couple things here. Number one, uh, are you old enough to remember when Missouri played Arkansas in the Cotton Bowl? Mm, I, no, sir. Okay. Darren McFadden on that Arkansas team. Fair I was enough. at that game. I just you hey, brought up Missouri that? and Arkansas, and I was at that game. So uh, it's one of the few like non-state school Division One games I've ever been to. <laughs> but uh, the other thing I was going to say is that if somebody wants to take blame and and take pride, I think in the fact that the Bedlam series is not being played anymore, it should be Oklahoma State fans because you know what Iowa plays Iowa State every year. You know why? Because Iowa State's not a power opponent. Because Iowa State's someone that Iowa can schedule every year and think, yeah, probably going to win that game. And Oklahoma State has gotten good enough that Oklahoma can't afford to schedule them every year like Georgia does with Georgia Tech. I promise you, if Georgia Tech was as good as Oklahoma State is, Georgia would have second thoughts about keeping them on the schedule. 
but it's an easy win. And in this day and age of college football, if you can get an easy win from a power five opponent, you take it. So I think Oklahoma state fans should take a little pride in the fact that Bedlam's not being played because if this were the Oklahoma state teams of the seventies, most of the seventies and the eighties, Oh, you would still put them on the schedule every year. Well, I we're, the only place I'll counter you there. The reason they're not going to play for at least another decade is simply down to scheduling. Sure, schools have already but I don't scheduled think they're going to play after that either, though, Eli. Well, we're going to see. Ten years ago, if I told you that Oklahoma was going to be in the SEC, you would have maybe you would have believed me, but it would have been a harder thing to picture. But at least in the near term, it's as much practical as it is emotional. OSU has no reason to bend over backward, to, to find ways to play OU, to, to break contracts, to add another difficult game on a schedule that's already going to be difficult. We'll see how the SEC and Big 12 go forward with their scheduling model. So there, there's a lot of really practical hurdles as to why they won't play, but the how far this goes is going to come down to bigger things. I also know that everyone said the right things. Both Oklahoma and Oklahoma State said, yeah, we'd love to play in the future, but we can't make it work, right? You know mm-hmm. who was more aggressive when they were asked about if they were going to play their uh, rival who's now in a new conference? Washington and Washington State and Oregon and Oregon State. Those teams all said, hey, we are committed to make this happen no matter what it takes. So maybe they can be the example that needs to show that it can work. Uh, we'll see. Like if Washington and Washington State go over the next few years and start buying out of other games so they can keep their rivalry going i think that's that's really putting the words into action right and the reason that we're not seeing oklahoma do that and oklahoma state do that is a there's some hurt feelers and b i mean oklahoma state is too good for oklahoma to just throw on their schedule every year especially if you want to have another big non-conference game which has been something that you know going back to the beginning of joe casiglione's time in norman is something that he rewards the fans with is generally every year there's a big non-conference game and generally every other year there's a really cool road trip for Oklahoma fans well you can't keep that up and still play Oklahoma State indeed well we're gonna see what happens beyond this weekend but I'll ask you this question just finishing out on Bedlam should OU be more worried about OSU and the momentum and Ollie Gordon and four straight wins and all that or its own issues Everything going on with the offense right now, a defense that, as we you know hit on, just seems to be you know a little shakier than it was. We don't know where what uh, Danny Stutzman's status will be for this weekend. Where do you go there? Do you go more with with what OSU has going on, or all the stuff happening in in the Sooners' backyard? I mean, I think you always have to look in your backyard first and handle you know what you need to handle internally before you can go out and deal with any of the external factors. And the injuries are a big question for Oklahoma. This team does have more competitive depth, but you'd be lying if you didn't admit that they've had some injuries, right? They've had some injuries to big players that have factored into not just the last, you know, two, three weeks when you go back to Andrew Anthony's injury, but into the second half of last week against Kansas. So Oklahoma's got to get those things figured out. Now I will say, you know, you and I were talking on the phone on Sunday. Danny Sutzman did not play great before his injury. It wasn't yep. his best performance on Saturday. So I think that in and of itself kind of tells you that the issues are more worry about yourself, whether it's Danny Stutzman or whoever has to come in and play if he can't play at all or play, you know, 100% of the snaps on Saturday. The Sooners have to do a better job of being sound defensively because they didn't do that. There were too many chunk plays in really big situations. And then, you know, I, 
I really think this might be a look in the mirror moment for Oklahoma's coaching staff as well, because they had some, they had some really, I think, big lapses in judgment on Saturday. It was a stinker from a coaching yeah. perspective. It was a stinker. It's way easier in hindsight to say those things, but I mean, I, it wasn't hindsight for a lot of people. I was just kind of halfway watching the game during my UCO Bronco broadcast, and I looked down at the end of the third quarter at the box score, and my first question was, "Is Dylan Gabriel hurt?" Like, why has he only thrown the ball 11 times or whatever it was through three quarters? This is a guy who we had, you know, as a Heisman finalist a couple weeks ago. It's, it's almost coaching malpractice to only throw the ball 11 times. So I think there are a lot of questions to be asked uh, internally for Oklahoma. The problem is they don't answer those questions. I think the way Oklahoma, Oklahoma State's playing right now, both offensively, and the Cowboys have been sneaky good defensively over this last four-game stretch as well. I mean, they can give Oklahoma problems. I I really do think this is a tough matchup for Oklahoma this weekend in Stillwater. Historically, I'm, I'm telling you, as someone who grew up around here, it's hard to pick the Cowboys ever in Bedlam because they just don't win it very often, especially with Mike Gundy coaching. But, I mean, if there were ever a time for them to get Oklahoma and for them to really have kind of that exclamation mark on the series, it's this weekend. Indeed. And man, if you want to talk about the single greatest indictment of, of Jeff Levy's performance play calling on on Saturday, it's it's pointing to the fact that it seemed Oklahoma had less trust in their Heisman candidate quarterback than Kansas had in Jason Bean, its backup yeah. and a guy who had thrown you know in a in literally almost threw that game away into with, with the interceptions he had late. Sooner's not feeling comfortable throwing the ball. I don't care about the weather. I don't care about who they had or, or how the run game was going. To not put the ball in Dylan Gabriel's hands more um, was staggering, stunning. You mentioned that stat. I mean, the 19 throws, most of them, or not most, but he was at about 12 before the final drive. So they stocked up late on throws. But some of the fewest Dylan Gabriel's thrown since his freshman year in a full game. Um, certainly that's got to get fixed uh, in week 10. Todd, we're going to close out. Game of Liz in, Liz out, a special New York City edition because you just returned from a trip to not quite my hometown, grew up about 30 minutes north, but a place I'm deeply, deeply, deeply fond of, a place that feels like home, New York City. First off, tell us about your trip. Uh, It was amazing. First proper trip to New York, got to see a lot of history. Uh, I did a YouTube short video. I went to the old downtown club now, which it's called the old downtown athletic club where the Heisman used to be handed out, went down there, saw it, uh, went to the nine 11 reflecting pools, which were just amazing and overwhelming. Didn't get a chance to go to the museum. Didn't really have enough time for that, but I will say I ate like a King and we're back on the, uh, you know, back on the diet now, but Walked like 30-something miles in three days, so I feel like I was allowed to uh, you know, eat like a king for a little bit. It was great, though. It's a assault on the senses. I think probably about five or six days is my max in New York City, but I had a really good time. I love it. I'm glad you went to the food because that's where we're starting. I know you did some good eating, some good pizza eating. You Liz in, Liz out on the New York pizza scene on the whole. Oh, I'm big Liz in. I, I have to admit, I didn't get it. I used to be a deep dish guy. I didn't really understand it. People said, oh, the bread's different because the water's different there. And I don't know, maybe it was because I was in the moment. I was just kind of soaking everything in, but I get it now. 
right? The New York, the New York slice is really good. I get it. And it's, here's the good thing about it. There are so many quality places you can get a good slice at. It's not like there's just one. You Like on every corner, it feels like you can get a slice, which I'm always a big fan of. I mean, what makes it special is there's great, there are special places to go eat pizza, but just about anywhere you stumble into, you're going to get a quality New York slice. Yep. Big fan of that. New York bagels. Liz in, Liz out. Again, I get it now. Uh, I don't know if you saw the photo I posted on Twitter or mm-hmm. X or whatever we call it now, but I had a pastrami bagel, and it might be the best thing I ate while I was in New York City. It was food porn. It was amazing. And so, yeah, I'm I'm Liz in on the New York bagel. I still don't understand the salmon and lox thing. I don't think I'll ever be Liz in on that. Uh, or the you know the salmon and cream cheese. I just want a bagel with cream cheese. Or I want some sort of like meat and egg bagel. It, they mm. were delicious. Every one I had. You made it to Zabar's, right? Oh yeah, went to Zabar's. Got a uh, got a cherry cheese strudel, which was Place fabulous. Mm. Yeah, uh, mm. and it's and it's like walking through history as well. It's been there for like a hundred years. Shake Shack, Liz in, Liz out. Saw you made oh. it there. Again, I mean. The best part about Shake Shack is it's called Shake Shack, and the best thing I had was the shake, right? Mm. Which, if if it's going to be Shake Shack, the shake better be good. The burger was amazing. It was crinkle-cut fries, which are always a win. So I was Liz in on Shake Shack. It had a, quite a big line, uh, which tells you it's going to be good. But yeah, the first Shake Shack experience was a big win. Shout out to Danny Meyer. All right, Times Square, controversial place. Liz in or Liz out? I I guess I'm Liz in because you have to it is part of New York City that you have to experience. I don't think and I'm going to try to make it a plan to go back more. I don't think unless I'm going to like a Broadway show, I'm going to go out of my way to get the Times Square. Uh but if you're going to a Broadway show while you're down there, you might as well take it in, right? You might as well go see it, get off the subway, walk around, soak up the lights for a minute or two. It's very touristy which even though I was a tourist drives me a little crazy. And the worst part is the people stopping to take photos. Just stand on the wall for a second, get your camera figured out, find a good space to step in and get a photo. Don't just stop walking. It's so frustrating, Eli, especially for a big guy like me, because I bump into someone, I might be looking at a lawsuit. You're starting to sound like a New Yorker. I love it. Frustrated by the tourists on the sidewalk, not loving Times Square. Hey, I'm walking here. There we go. Oh, that was good. You should have tried that when you were in New York City, seeing how that went. Uh, you mentioned Broadway. You saw Hamilton, first Broadway show. Liz in or, in or Liz out on the whole Broadway experience? Best thing on the whole trip. Uh, of course, I'm a history nut, and I know Hamilton's not 100% like exactly historically correct, but anytime there's a musical about a historical figure, that's if you're going to get me sucked into a musical, that's going to be the one that does it, right? It's something history-related. Uh, but now that I've done it and I've experienced it, I would like to go back and see more. So I get it now. I'm not, you're not going to see me like all of a sudden uh, going four days and seeing four shows. But if I'm there for a decent amount of time, I think I'll always make it part of the trip to try to go see a show. New York City subway system, Liz in or Liz out? All right, so it's a half and half. I'm Liz in on the convenience of it. I'm Liz out on the steps. I mean, can we put some escalators in for crying out loud? You already got to walk like 30 miles around the city. And then you got to climb up, you know, two flights of stairs every time you come out of the subway. Just give me an escalator or two. That's the only issue I have with the subway. 
Reasonable. It's a mo- modern marvel how that thing it runs is. so efficiently and all that gets you where you need to go. I was disappointed, though. I didn't see a rat. You just weren't looking then because they're everywhere, <laughs> man. You got to look I down at the track. I really did try to see one. Saw I saw a story get... over the weekend about a rat that stole a donut and then had a, a donut date on the New York City subway tracks. Like with another no rat? Love's not real. What's that? Yeah, with like another with rat. An- nice. Yeah, man. Nice. Romance, I, you know, not dead. I, I know why the rats are so fat after eating in New York City for a while. Indeed. There's quite a few. Uh, there's quite a lot of good food in that city. All right, last three for you. We'll go quick. Believe you saw the Statue of Liberty from the Staten Island Ferry, correct? Yes. You didn't get off and go see it. Correct. Liz in or Liz out on that being the correct way to see the Statue of Liberty because let you know a secret you don't really have to get off and look at it uh i would say liz in i i've never experienced the other one but we walked by the line for the ferry that goes to the statue of liberty and i did not want to wait and this is again me sound like a new yorker i did not want to wait online for that long so my man um yeah i i'm liz in on seeing it from the ferry it's smaller uh, than you imagine too the statue mm-hmm. of liberty still great but it can be viewed no. from afar that's the point you don't need to spend Definitely. an afternoon getting out there uh, you walk around New York City enough, you'll see a lot of mysterious steam that just comes out of the ground. Sometimes you'll breathe it in, sometimes it'll get in your mouth. It's part of the experience. You lose in or lose out on the mysterious steam of New York City. I think it's really cool, especially when it's a cool evening and you see even more steam. I will say there was uh, that steam didn't have near as much of a stench as some other uh, some other stuff that was going around downtown New York City. It is the what's the what's the family way to say this? It smells like uh, an herbal recreation product in a lot of that city. So if if you hate that smell, you're probably not going to like New York City nowadays. That's been a recent change last few years since uh, everything was legalized. But yeah, that you notice it now when you get into New York City. Last one, navigating New York City traffic as a pedestrian on foot. Did you get good at, at jaywalking and, and walking without regard for for? walk signals and all that you lose in or lose out on all on, on all that i'm liz in on that the one good thing about new york city is most of the streets are one way so you've really only got to look one way for your traffic um you know they're crazy so you still check the other way too but most of it it's pretty easy to get across uh i do lo- i do love that people just go through the intersections while honking as if to say like hey i'm just letting you know i'm coming through here if you walk it's your fault they don't even slow down a lot of times but yeah, I, I feel like I navigated it. I also love how the New York, the NYPD, they don't even care if you jaywalk. I mean, it's, you can jaywalk right in front of them. It's no big deal. They know everyone's going to do it, and it's just kind of a thing. Small potatoes, I'd imagine, to all else they got to worry about in that city. Well, Todd, I'm so thrilled you enjoyed New York. You did it right from the sound of it. Now you're going to get to go back and do all the non-touristy stuff. There's nothing wrong with the touristy stuff. It's got to be done, but what I always say is once you've done it, checked it off the list i know you hit central park that's i don't count that as touristy that's just a marvel in its own right uh but you did it right and now you get to go back to new york and soon enough you'll be a true new yorker i'll just say this i was in new york city on friday and hayes kansas on saturday and unless jaron Cannett gets nominated for a heisman trophy soon i don't think anyone's ever going to be in those two cities in two straight days could happen could happen (laughs) i guess it could Todd, that's going to do it on the Letterman Jacket. If you made it this far, if you like what you heard, subscribe, leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We do this for you. 
You can find us as always, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get your podcasts. And we are going to have tons, I mean tons, T-O-N-S, of Bedlam content this week around OU, OSU, of pods. We will have stories on the Sooners as they try to bounce back from their first loss of the season. We'll have plenty on OSU at sellout crowd as, as the Cowboys are riding high. And we'll have tons on Bedlam as we head into the final meeting between the Sooners and Cowboys. A special thank you to our producer, Jacqueline Musgrove, creative director, Michael Lane. Todd, what do you got coming this week before we head out? Ranking something silly, the 10 worst Bedlam games of all time, because that's how I operate. Uh, and then I've also, I've also got the rollout of my newsletter this week, so go get signed up for that uh, at selloutcrowd.com. Uh, and then, you know, I've got my college football picks against the spread, which, not to toot my own horn or anything, 30 and 14 the last five weeks. Big time. Well, keep an eye out on that for Todd. I'll have plenty on OU, and we'll be back later this week on Letterman Jacket.